Well, happy fall harmony. Did you guys have a good week? Yes. Well, it's good as always to see you guys. I hope you have a spirit of joy in your hearts. Uh, we know when we walk in these walls, we're in the most beautiful, most wonderful place we could possibly be. We're in God's house doing what we were meant to do, which is to glorify and worship Him. And we're surrounded by people we love. What a blessing just to be here this morning and to be surrounded by our church family. Uh, if you didn't grab one, make sure on your way out you get our uh, October newsletter. Uh, so October newsletter, we just got a few things happening this week. The one I want to pull attention to is that next Saturday, October 8th at 11, I'm sorry, at 10, at 10 a.m. next Saturday, we're going to be doing a, uh, a run for our donations to the Spiritual Ad Addiction Center. So uh, you see all those goods that we kind of keep out there, the toilet paper and t-shirts and all that kind of stuff. We've got enough, we're going to go make a run. If you're interested in going to that, uh, dropping those commodities off and then kind of seeing the program and what's going on, feel free to come to the church Saturday morning, 10 a.m. James and Donna will be here and we'll be heading out there to kind of drop those off. So keep those in your mind. Uh, other dates in there, so grab one if you didn't get one on your way out. Uh, I also wanted to congratulate Miss Linda. Linda had a beautiful uh, retirement ceremony this week. I want to thank Diane and Alan for recording that. For those of you didn't get to see it, but uh, congratulations, Linda, on all your service, all your dedication and helping not only serve this country directly, but then serving those people who serve our country. Thank you very much. God bless. All right, you guys ready? Yes. Got your seatbelts on? Yes. You ready for a ride this morning? All right. So the four spiritual laws, two weeks ago we started talking about this, and what we said is Christians... A lot of people don't like us, and the reason people don't like us, the reason our culture acknowledges Christianity in a different way than it does other religions, is that our God gave us a mission. Jesus told us, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. <coughs> Remember his last words to us in Matthew are, go into all the nations and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So what's interesting about Christianity, it's the one predominant religion that focuses on not just that you and I have a truth that brings us peace, but that we go and share that with other people. Think, how many times have you had an Islamic person knock on your door and talk to you about their faith? How many times have you had a Hindu person knock on your door and tell you about their faith? Taoism? Buddhism? Ever? No, because those religions don't make an emphasis on going into the world and sharing the truth with others. There's more of an internal focus on your peace, on your prosperity, and on your own enlightenment. But our God has said, if we are truly to love people, if we're truly to love Him, then there's two things we're going to do. We're going to go make His name great, and we're going to do it in such a way that it brings other people to this truth. And so what we've been talking about in the four spiritual laws is a very simple way to concisely talk about the gospel. And so what we said is this. Law one, there's a God that loves you and he has a wonderful plan for your life. How's the story start? It starts with a God who is awesome, unbelievable, powerful, and loving of his children. He makes us, and both in his creation of man and in his creation of the world, Love is shown to all of us. In man you see it in that God himself shapes us. 
He handcrafts our spirits and He breathes His life into us. He gives us a role. He gives us a purpose. He gives us work. And He gives us is everything we need. God continually provides. In the world, what we see is this world we live in is an unbelievably beautiful and privileged thing. Every single day we walk outside and that sun shines down upon us. We are receiving blessings that no other item, no other organism in this universe experiences. We have a God that immensely loves us. And He pays attention to us in the smallest of details. The second law is bad news. Man sinned and separated from God, not knowing His wonderful plan. So we were built to have this intimate, loving relationship with God. We said, no thank you. I want to be in control. And because of that, we are now separate from God. And this is why throughout history, throughout time, throughout any nation, what you find is people constantly wondering what's missing. What's missing? It's so funny. Technology changes. Fashion changes. Government changes. But you know what doesn't change? Souls. People 2,000 years ago had the exact same questions that the people today have. And guess what? Google's not answering them for them. What we're searching for is, why are we here? What is our purpose? What does it all mean? What happens to me after this? What am I supposed to do with my life? Why do good things happen to some people and bad things happen to others? All these cosmic questions all of us have had from the beginning of time. And the answer is in this law right here. God gave us perfection, but He also gave us choice. And we chose to deviate. So today, this is where our focus is going to be. Let me just quickly remind you of the other two laws. Law three, good news, even after we messed it up, God said, I love you so much, I will find a way to fix this. Even up to the point of sending His Son Jesus to die for us so we can be forgiven of our sins and restored to a right relationship with God. And then fourthly, we must place our faith in Jesus, not just as our Savior, but as our Lord to receive that salvation. So that means we acknowledge, we don't do anything except acknowledge that Jesus died for us. And because of that acknowledgement, realize I want Him as my Lord. I want Him as the one every single day who is guiding me, leading me, and showing me which direction to go. And so in those four statements, we get a very concise telling of the gospel. God loves me. Man sinned. Jesus fixed it. Now I need to accept Him. That's all it is. That's all it is. So today, as we look at law number two, I really want you to pay attention because, brothers and sisters, sadly, we don't talk about this anymore. We don't talk about sin anymore. <coughs> it's funny, I was sitting there thinking the other day of all of the sermons I watch on TV, how few of them are ever about sin. We don't talk about it. We don't want you to feel full of shame. We don't want you to feel full of guilt. We don't want you to walk out of church and feel like, man, I'm a sinner. We want you to leave happy and joyful and thinking that God's going to bless everything that you touch. But here's the problem. Most of the pain that we experience comes from this. This is like going to a doctor and he's going to go, well, I'm not going to talk what really is making you sick because that's depressing. So let's just talk about everything else. And then each time you keep coming back to the doctor, you're like, I'm confused. Still sick. 
because we're not actually fixing the problem. We're not acknowledging what's really broken. We're not really paying attention to why everything we look at is confusing to us. And so we need to address this. I want to start with this quote from Billy Graham. Billy Graham said the self-centered indulgence, pride, a lack of shame over sin are now emblems of American lifestyle. Look at that again. Self-centered indulgence, pride, and a lack of shame over sin are now emblems of the American lifestyle. I thought about this last night. I went, man, spot on. We as a nation are actually proud of our sin. Think about how many television shows you watch that have nothing to do with glorifying God in any way, shape, or form. In fact, how many of the shows do we watch are simply there in one way or another to glorify sin? Have you ever found yourself even sucked into these, kind of going, you know what, I probably shouldn't be watching this? We have shows that joke and laugh about fornication. We have shows that are actually rooting for you to have two people have sex together. We have shows that are about violence, the end of life, death, all kinds of sin rampantly portrayed. And either it's funny or we're actually rooting and supporting it. I remember when I was a younger guy watching Friends one day. And uh, I was watching an episode, and the whole episode was about how Ross had had sex in like six months. And this was the plot of the show. How do we help Ross have sex? And I'm sitting there going, why am I watching this? <laughs> like, would, if Jesus was sitting here with me, would he think any of this is funny? Would any of this be... Could I explain to him why for a second my mind is even on this? No. Yeah, let's be real. Most of the stuff on our televisions is junk. Amen. Not only is it in our televisions, listen to the songs you sing. I am blown away by the number of parents that have, or, or think it's hilarious when their children are singing songs about terrible stuff. A majority of your pop songs today are about one thing. Let me, a man, tell you, a woman, I want you. And then we're like, it's hilarious, our kids singing it and dancing to it. No, it's not. It's not hilarious. It's not cool. It's not funny. But the beauty of Satan is, is he's learned how to take all these things and make them so appealing to us. So appealing to us. I mean, have you ever had that moment where you listen to a song and it's the first time you actually listen to the words? Have you ever done that? And you're like, wait a minute, what is this song about? Is this song really saying what I thought it was? The ones that get me are the ones that I used to listen to as like a, a sixth or seventh grader. Like you'll hear them on the radio now and you're like, oh, mom and dad should have never let me listen to that song. Because <laughs> back then I had no clue what it meant. Now, I get he's not talking about what I thought he was talking about. <coughs> Sin is everywhere. And we're almost as a country proud of it. I mean, let's be honest. We're a country that throws pride parades for homosexuality. Like the definition of being proud of sin. 
The scarier thing is what David Platt here, a pastor and author, refers to. He says this, We are settling for a Christianity that revolves around catering to ourselves. When the central message of Christianity is actually about abandoning ourselves. So this sinful thinking, it's not just in our culture, it's now pervading into our churches. It's why our churches have grown into these mega churches that have front doors that are as big as the back doors. We have more churches in America now that are over 10,000 people than we've ever had. Yet we have the smallest portion of churches to population that we've ever had. Less and less people could care about church. And the reality is, the reason is we've lost the message. If you're here for a better marriage, if you're here to make a better version of you, if you're here to fix your problems, you're in the wrong place. The reason you come here is because of Him. The reason you come to God is not so God can give you stuff. I mean, let's be real. Do any of us ever enjoy in a relationship when we realize somebody wants to be our friend not because of who we are, but because of what we have or what position we're in. Do we ever like that? No. Yet the majority of Christians in this nation, it's exactly how we treat God. Why do you go to church? Why do you do this? Well, because I want God to help me with this. I want God to fix this. I want God to make this right. I want God to do that. Do you even like God? Do you even know God? Are you just in love with the treasure chest of stuff that He holds? So sin is becoming this rampant thing that not only is impacting our culture, but it's absolutely impacted our churches. And so we need to understand sin, and we need to be able to talk about it, because one, it's important for our own lives, but two, it's essential for us to be able to describe the gospel to people. Because guess what? If you don't think you're sick, you sure as heck don't think you need a doctor. So going to a nation full of people that don't even think there is such a thing as sin and going, I have a Savior for you. They go, why do I need that? Why would I need a Savior? Why don't you go find someone who's in trouble? That's not me. So let's break down what's happening. Genesis chapter 3. Open up your Bibles. Genesis chapter 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God 
among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, and I hid myself. God said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave to me, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is it that you have done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. So a couple things to look at here. One, this should be an understanded statement, but let me just say it to clarify. This is a factual telling of real events. Now the reason I say that is, is let's be honest, is there a slight leap for us that live in 2016 to acknowledge that story as truth? The answer is, heck yes. Huge leap. Okay, guys, when you are delivering the gospel, one thing you have to acknowledge is you are sharing things that are utterly strange and weird to non-believers. If you don't acknowledge that, then you're setting yourself up for defeat because you need to realize there's a large gap for you to cover. How many of you have had a back-and-forth conversation with an animal? Anybody verbally heard an animal speak to them? And I'm not saying noises and grunting. I know we've all seen animals communicate. I'm talking about an animal dialoguing with you. An animal helping you critically assess a situation and make a life decision. If you have, please see me afterwards. You might have some mental health issues that we need to talk about. This doesn't happen anymore to us. We don't see this happen. Not only that, how many of you have had a face-to-face conversation with God in the garden? Do you often run into Him on your daily way? Hey God, how's it going? Does that happen to you? Not like this. So let's be real. Educated people in 2016 read this story and go, fairy tale. What happened next? Did Cinderella put her glass slipper on? We need to acknowledge that there is a gap for us to cover in this. Now the reason this has never scared me is people are foolish in the way we assess things. We think because we know how the world works right now, today, that we know how the world worked thousands of years ago. It's foolish. Things change dramatically and unbelievably. The only thing that I've actually ever been convinced of as we look at science and we look at fact is, is man knows very little about the world that he lives in and the things that we experience. We can't explain life. We can't explain death. We can't explain most of the things that happen to us. You ever want proof? Listen to the last 30 seconds of the medicine commercials on TV. Have you ever noticed? Hey, if you're depressed, take this medicine. It'll help you. Oh, by the way, it could make you suicidal and make your depression worse. But please take it. You're like, wait a minute. If I'm suicidal, why are you giving a medicine to me that like 50% of the time will make me worse? Like, do you guys, is this just a guessing game? And basically the answer is kind of. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. But what I love about people is 
We act like if a doctor says it to us or science says it, well, it must be. Has to be true. Has to be right. Guys, we know very little about this world that we live in. What we try to do is take the little window we have of right now and we try to imagine that we can look all the way back in time and that just because this is how it works now, it's how it's always worked. Not true. Not true to Miracles happen all the time, all around us, and we know very little about how our world works. So I understand when I tell people this, there might be some objections. But I'm okay with that. We've got to be comfortable with that. So let's talk about what happens here. Did Eve eating the piece of fruit hurt anybody? Did it injure anyone? Did it restrict anybody's rights? Did it inflict pain on another individual? No, not at all. What's interesting about the first original sin is, is what actually was the problem? It's disobedience. But it's not just disobedience, it's the motive for disobedience. Brothers and sisters, what we need to understand about God is God is about the heart. It's about the heart. Jesus' whole first huge sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, is about one thing. You can't just judge the actions. You have to know the heart. And so he tells them, you've heard it said, don't commit adultery. I tell you, don't look at a woman with lust in your eyes, or you already have. His point to everybody throughout the entire journey is, you have to be doing these things for the right reasons. The reason this is important for us to understand is we've forgotten this even though it's the core theme of the gospel. We still think you can judge a good person based on what they do. And so we like to look at people and go, oh, they're helpful, they're nice, they're kind, they do charity work, they're a good person. Guess what? None of those actions have anything to do with the definition of good that God describes. What God is looking for is for His creation that He made to have an intimate relationship with Him to live a life full of love focused on Him and on other people. And so what we need to understand is a few things. One, who is a sinner? We are all sinners. Every single one of us is a sinner. Brothers and sisters, this is huge when you're sharing the gospel with people. Because if what the gospel comes off as, as me, Mr. Holy and Righteous, who knows the word of God and is righteous in his actions, talking to you, lowly pagan, guess what? No one's interested in what you have to say. We should be talking to people like, hey, sinner right here. You know what I love about Paul's writings? Paul gets so close to God and is constantly in his word. But what seems to happen to Paul is the more he learns about God, the more he is convicted that he is the worst sinner of all. See, the closer he actually gets to God, the more Paul realizes, man, I'm not perfect. And that's always a good test on your own spirituality. If as you pour yourself more into your faith and more into your religion, if what happens to you is you become more proud, you're not chasing God. You're chasing a better you. 
If you pour into your faith and into your religion and you become more humble, then that shows you're getting closer to God every single day. It's why there's a lot of people who are Christians that the world wants nothing to do with. Because what they've used Christianity to do is exactly what the Pharisees used religion to do, which is to prop themselves up, go look at my amazing resume, look at all my wonderful actions, and realize I'm better than you. I'm a better person than you guys. In the game of life, I'm a superstar, you're a loser. No one wants to be around that. And as a church, we need to be a place where it's very clear, sinner. I told you before, this is just a big AA meeting. This is a big AA meeting of a bunch of sinners going, I'm a sinner, been a sinner, still a sinner, but I'm working on it. And thank God I got a Savior that forgives me. Thank God I got a Savior who walks by me day in or day out. Because if I didn't have him, I'd be a wreck. So we should not be surprised when sin happens here. Not to say we want it to happen. It's not to say we make it happen. But we should be shocked when one of us messes up. The reason we're all here is we said, sinner, need Jesus. And that's the mentality we need to have when we talk to others. Romans 3.23 For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Everyone. Every single person. Every single person. Psalm 51.5 Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. So this is an important point. Why do all of us sin? All of us sin, what God teaches us, is because the moment that Adam and Eve chose to sin, that sin was inherently passed on to us. From the moment of birth, we are born sinners. Now, I need you to listen to that because there's a lot of people who will try to convince you. People are genuinely good. There's a few bad apples, but truly, if you just get people together, they'll make good decisions. No. No. Look throughout history and tell me people are good. People are not good. We are selfish. We are consumed with the desire for what makes our lives better. And we rarely have the capability to put ourselves in the shoes of other individuals. Do you ever want to see that? Just look at our babies. Man, I love my little Jake. Kid lights my day up. I love every morning hearing him in his bed going, Hi! Hi! That's how I wake up every morning. It's that little voice going, Hi! And then normally it's followed by banana because he wants to eat. <laughs> but I love that little voice. I love his little kisses. I love his little hugs. I love just being with him. But guess what? Little sinner. Little sinner. And it happens quick. It happens real quick. The other day, his mom's holding him. And we've been feeding him. And what she's told me is, you got to be careful when you feed him because if you start what he really likes first, then he won't eat the other stuff later. So what you got to do is you got to feed him the thing he likes the least first and then move on to the thing he likes the best last. And so we're eating, we're feeding him, and uh, she switches from, I would mistakenly given him the tasty stuff first, and uh, we end up giving him the healthy thing next. He looks at her and he gives her this like dirty look, like just no mom. And she tells him to eat it. And then he smacks her in the face. And I'm sitting there going, Dude! How little are you? This is, 
All you know is that this woman has provided for you everything you've ever needed, ever. In the moment she doesn't give you the piece of food you want, what do you do? Give her a dirty look and smack her in the face. Now, don't get me wrong, he's a good kid. <laughs> but he's selfish. Jake wants what Jake wants. And no one had to teach him that. And that's what you'll see about all babies. You'll see about all people. We are driven by, I want what I want. And I really don't care what happens to the outside. As long as I get what I need. This sin is passed in us over and over again. You want further proof? Turn on the news. Why is it it's a rare thing when we see a story about anything good happening? Yet we're not shocked when murder, death, addiction, any of those things happen. Do you know what's so sad? In our country, we've become so used to violent selfishness, it doesn't even register anymore. Every single day, every single day, an elementary school classroom full of kids is killed because of drunk drivers. Every day. Every day, do we talk about that? No. We don't care. We don't focus on these things. That sin is passed down from generation to generation. Look at 1 Corinthians 6, chapter 9. I love this passage because it clarifies one of the things we were just talking about. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, it says this, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not deceive neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. What I love about this passage is one that list is very long about who it includes. And I love that in it he includes both murderers and people who are simply just greedy. And he says all of them deserve one thing, they deserve hell. However, there's an important way he finishes it. He goes, and such were some of you. Even the church itself is built on people like this. So the message that we're all sinners isn't bad because it's just a starting point. It's just the place of what we acknowledge that we are. But clearly what the gospel tells us is that through Christ we're able to overcome this. The church is built on sinners. Mark 2.17 And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick... I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. So again, the important reason why we need to make sure everybody understands we are all sinners. If you don't look in the mirror and see a sinner, you don't think you need a Savior. And brothers and sisters, I encourage you, especially those of you who are church folk, the ones that are in church every single Sunday, you're in Wednesday night life group, you're in Thursday night life group, you pray all the time, be careful. There is a natural pride in us that as we become closer to God, learn more about His Word, we start to change the way we look at ourselves. We have a tendency that the more churched we become to think, I'm a pretty good person. 
And when you do that, you forget just how much you need Him. Don't ever be confused by your ability to do good. You still need a Savior every single moment. Every single day. You need that Savior by you. Second thing. Sin very simply results in death. I wish there was another way it ended. Doesn't. Sin results in death. Now, here's what I need you to understand. Most of you will nod your head to this statement and go, yep, I understand that. Sin equals death. Here's the funny part, though. Somehow, we know that sin will end up with us dead, but we're really confused by the journey to death is marked with pain. You ever notice that? We all know we will die. Yet along this journey to death, we're confused when things are painful and don't make sense. Why? Guess how? We know how it ends. We die. That's how it ends. We die. So why would you think the journey to death would be a pleasant one? Why would we think that? This life is marked by pain. The sin that we brought into this life when we separated ourselves from God broke everything. It broke everything. And every single day, the pain, the confusion, the mess that we see comes from one thing and one thing only. Sin. And it's corrupted everything. Look at Romans 6.23. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. If you ever want to know how sure sin results in death, just look at the cross. Even when God wanted to wipe away our sin, what did He have to do? Die. He had to die to give us new life. Sin equals death. Which is ultimately what you need to explain to your own children and in your own life. The reason that we have rules from God is not because God's this guy who doesn't want you to have fun. I think people have this picture of God as like this just big, angry old guy who's like, don't do this, don't do that, don't do this, don't do that. It's going to be a boring life. When you're done, I'll take you to heaven. No! God wants you to enjoy life to a joy level that no one else experiences. He wants you to know love and pleasure and happiness and peace and comfort and strength in ways that nobody who doesn't know Him could ever know. The reason, though, that He gives you rules is He goes, I know what sin is. It's death. Don't play with it. The reason I tell you don't do these things is not that I'm afraid you're going to have a ton of fun. It's that I know exactly what that thing is. And I know where it takes you. Stay away. Sin is death. That's all it is. James 1.15 The desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. It's a constant message throughout the Bible. Sin is death. That's all it does. It's poison. It's an unbelievable poison. And what's so true about God is He sees this in everything. Think in your own personal relationships. If you sin against the other person, what happens? You've poisoned that relationship. When we sin and don't take care of the world, what happens to it? It poisons it. And we even see the world around us in pain and hurt. 
Sin, wherever it touches, just brings death, pain, and hurt. Look at Romans 8.22. Actually, I'm going to start in verse 18. Chapter 8, verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of Him who subjected it, in hope that creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who are the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoptions as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Paul says the impacts of sin are so strong that literally the physical world we live in is crying out in pain. Do you and I realize that? Do you realize even the beautiful world that we see is the corrupted, polluted version of it? The creation, the world that Adam and Eve saw in their eyes before sin came did not look like what you and I see. It was completely pure. Without defect, without blemish, without death in any way, shape, or form. Sin is a destructive force that has impacted everything we know. Everything. So you want to know why good things or bad things happen to good people? Sin. You want to know why people you love get sick? Sin. You want to know why the people who love Jesus die? Sin. You want to know why you're confused about the pain and ignorance that you see in this world? Sin. Sin is the force that rips through everything. And what's so sad is, we as a people keep trying to solve the problem by looking at the symptoms. I don't care if you're Republican or Democrat. Guess what? Gun control is not going to stop people from dying. People's hearts. People's hearts. It's a heart problem. It's not a gun problem. It's a heart problem. It's not a violence problem. We can put all the laws in place we want. We can let the NSA and the government listen to any phone call, monitor anything we do. Guess what? It's not going to stop sinful, broken people from hurting others. The only thing that does that? Jesus. Amen. So what's confusing to us is we keep putting in more laws, more rules, more of these things that we think will give us control. And guess what? They're not going to because we've ignored completely what the problem is. The problem is, is that we're not good people. We're selfish people, consumed with our own pleasures and our own needs. And we will put those above anything and everything else. And in the pursuit of those, we will run over people, we will hurt people, we will push them to the side. And until we change out our hearts, nothing will change that. So we keep looking for hope in all the wrong places because what we don't want to acknowledge is the truth that the problem is not everybody else, the problem's me. Problems me. I'm going to leave you with this last point. This is a, a, a one I really want you to understand. I was thinking last night, and I'm like, how do I define sin? I've defined it before as anytime you're less than perfect. 
Uh, we can, of course, define it as breaking God's rules or breaking God's commandments. But ultimately, what it really is, is sin is any unloving act towards God. What's really cool about God, what I love about God, is He's in, is brilliant. He's very simple. He's very, very simple. The whole message of the Bible, everything of His morality, is very clear. In Matthew 22, 34-40, Jesus sums it up for us. What's the greatest commandment, Jesus? Love God with all your heart, with all your mind, and with all your soul. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as you love yourself. What's the Bible about? Loving God, loving people. That's it. That's it. Ten commandments. First six, loving God. Second, last four, loving people. Old Testament, when the prophets would get mad at Israel, you know why? They either weren't loving God or they were mistreating people. It's a very consistent thing throughout all the pages of the book. Love God, love people. Love God, love people. So all that sin is, is when we reject that. Sin is when you and I reject the motive of love for our actions. It's why you could even help somebody sinfully. If I go out and help somebody, but do it so that you guys know I did it, it's a sin. Because what was my motive? Selfish pride. You know my favorite are the NBA and the NFL? Ever notice that any superstar, whenever they want to do something for charity, what has to be there? Cameras. <laughs> Lots of cameras. I can't possibly feed a hungry person unless a reporter's here to tell you I did it. Why? Not because I care about the guy who's hungry. I care that you think I'm a good person. God goes, that wasn't a loving act. That was sinful. Your motive was to make yourself look great. It's not love. So very simply, whenever you and I go against that desire to submit and to sacrifice for God, it's sin. Now you want to know what's scary? Think how often that is. How many decisions a day do you make based on what do you want? Think just how many decisions a day are based on the very simple thing of what would I like? Tons. There are so many decisions daily I make that are just about what does Luke Gradeless want? What will make Luke happy? So few of them that actually funnel through the channel of what's the most loving thing I can do for God? So many of the things we do just daily are about one thing. What do I want? What do I want? And so what you want to start to see is, man, I am broken. I do have sin in me. And it's not even the sin that's just violent, oppressive, unbelievable violence. It's just, I'm a selfish person. I'm wired that way. Because when you see that, then you can start moving forward. You've got to acknowledge that that sin exists. A.W. Tozer said this, For whatever else the fall may have been, it is most certainly a sharp change in man's relation to his creator. He destroyed the proper creator-creature relation in which unknown to him his true happiness lay. The terrible thing that happened that day is that we broke our relationship with God. 
What's funny is, Satan didn't lie to us very much in that moment. Did the apple instantaneously, or whatever the fruit was, instantaneously kill Eve? No. Did that forbidden fruit give her knowledge of evil that she didn't have before? Absolutely. And did, because she now understood good versus evil, was she a little bit more like God in her understanding of the world? Yes. But were any of those things beneficial for her? No. Ultimately, brothers and sisters, the choice that you make every single day is this. Do I submit to God and do I go His path, His way, His word, or do I go mine? And hundreds of times a day, the decision you have to make is, I want this, God says this. Which will I do? Which one will I do? What God hopes that you and I understand is, you and I were built to be in right relationship with Him. When God tells you go this way, it's not because He's trying to hurt you. It's because He knows that's what will bring you the greatest peace and joy in your life. It's what you were made for. But there's some of us that just want to keep going our own way. We have to acknowledge sin is the cause of all of our pain. It's the cause of all of our hurt. And we need to realize that even as we sit in this room, even because He died on that cross, we still got a sin problem. The only difference between you and I and the people that don't know Jesus is, is we now know where to go to help us with this addiction to sin. We now know where we can go to lay that shame and that guilt at someone's feet and it will be taken from us. We now know how to have a heart that can beat off something other than its hunger for sin and now can be driven by true sacrificial love. But guess what? You've got to come back to that every single day. My buddy Eric, I think he's been sober for seven years. I was talking to him one day, and he, he's funny because he just—he has no no shame in telling you who he was back then. He's like, I'm not going to try to gloss over it. He's like, if you want to know what I was an addict to, anything, anything and everything. And what would I do to get stuff? Anything and everything. He's like, I've got more shameful stories of things I've done in a month than most people have in their entire lifetimes. Seven years sober, he now helps people get over their addiction. He's a good father, a loving husband. I'm so proud of the progress he's made and proud to call him a friend. I asked him the other day, I said, how often do you get the craving? And he laughed. He goes, once an hour? <laughs> Definitely every day. He goes, I'm constantly in the threat of relapsing. He goes, but to be honest, what keeps me strong is acknowledging that. Because he goes, I don't ever put my guard down. I know at any moment, at any time, any place, there is the threat that Satan will strike out at me. That he'll try to pull me back into that life. So I'm always watching. I'm always watching, I'm always praying, and I know I cannot do this on my own. And that's what keeps him strong. What keeps him strong is, he realizes he's weak. And he knows he cannot live in his own strength. He must live in God's. Amen. That's what you and I need. 
But sad is, his sin, because it's so visible, everybody knows it and acknowledges it. Ours, because they're a little bit more able to be kept secret, we act like we're not as bad as he is. We don't act like his sin's over here, like, whoa, addict. And that we're over here like, oh no, I just got a few things I'm working on. Same boat. Same boat. The only difference is, he looks in the mirror and he's willing to walk into a room and go, sinner. You and I, we want to walk into a room and go, I'm a pretty holy person. No. We're sinners. And we need a God of love and forgiveness and grace. And we need Him every day. We need Him every moment. The beauty, brothers and sisters, is we also know there's a lot of people out there that need Him too. And if we can come to them, not as strength, but as weakness, and we can say, I know where you're at. Been there. Then there's a way for us to make a connection to introduce them to our Savior. Just like we were introduced at one point ourselves. But we've got to be able to talk about sin. We've got to acknowledge it's the root of all our problems. And we've got to acknowledge it's something we've got to fight every single day. Because that's what reminds you, you need a Lord. Let's pray. Dearly Father, as we